Well, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the gospel. Thank you for a provision, a full provision that has been made for us, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and raised on the third day according to the scriptures. We thank you this evening as we come once again to um, study together. We ask for uh, your blessing. Help us to be such that would be um, gentle to those who disagree with us. These are not issues of first importance, perhaps. These are not issues about which uh, believing them or not believing them affects whether or not we are saved. Uh, But we do want some grasp of the totality of what you teach us in Scripture and pray for the blessing of your Spirit as we um, discuss these things together. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Dispensationalism, Uh, we're talking about um, the Schofield Study Bible, the Ryrie uh, Study Bible. Uh, We're talking about um, perhaps the majority of evangelicals, certainly at one time the majority of evangelicals would have held uh, to a dispensational view in some form or some capacity. And our own view, um, the the view held largely by our denomination, uh, whether that would be premillennial, amillennial or postmillennial, all of those would, would be on a different scale of understanding to dispensationalism. Um... That, that our view, if I can broadly put it that way, would, would and I think remains a minority uh, view. Um, I, I'm going to talk tonight uh, in the brief time that we have together uh, in generalities. Dispensationalism is a, a smorgasbord of ideas uh, and uh, folk um, disagree among themselves. Um, the literature here is vast, and, and even, even within dispensationalism, um, dispensationalism has changed and is continuing to change. Uh, so we'll, we'll talk about classic dispensationalism um, and progressive dispensationalism. Uh, and those... Uh, dispensationalists who are on the progressive side uh, would disavow uh, a great deal, probably more in private than in public, uh, of classic dispensationalism. So I'm going to say something tonight and you're going to say, yeah, but I know somebody who's a dispensationalist who doesn't believe that, and, and that's true. 
Uh, let me just give a, br- a very brief background here to dispensational theology. It, it is actually a, a 19th uh, century phenomenon, um, particularly associated with uh, names like John Nelson Darby, uh, the Plymouth Brethren movement, particularly in Britain. Um, and in America, with names like uh, C.I. Schofield and um, more recently uh, with Charles uh, Ryrie. Um, it created its own seminary, uh, Dallas Theological Seminary, DTS. Uh, it created its own uh, journal. Uh, there's a theological journal, Bibliotheca Sacra, which, is, which, is, uh, which was created by the movement known as uh, dispensational theology. Uh, the Bible Church Movement uh, was a dispensational, um, was, was formed um, out of dispensationalism. Um, if you were to ask the question, and I'm not going to spend any time here, but if you were to ask this, the question, where were dispensationalists, say, in regard to Calvinism and Arminianism? Uh, and the fact of the matter is that earlier this century, earlier in the 20th century, uh, you would have found many dispensationalists who would have been Calvinists. Uh, maybe not on the extent of the atonement, on, on the L in Tulip, but on total depravity, unconditional election, on irresistible grace, perseverance of the saints. Um, they, w- they would have been um, Calvinists. That has changed. As the 20th century progressed, I think that, is, uh, that has changed. Uh, and I think that it's true to say that some measure of... Um, um, fear, uh, some measure of disavowal of reformed theology of Calvinism um, in, in, its, in its espousal of, say, the doctrine of election. Um, that fear and disavowal gripped uh, Dallas Theological Seminary as the 20th century progressed. I think that's f- fair to say. Um, classic dispensationalism, I'm talking about classic dispensationalism, um, is premillennial. That is to say, it, it believes that the return of Christ, at least in some form or another, comes before the millennium, before the 1,000 years, however that is to be interpreted in Revelation 20. So it is premillennial, but, but more than that, it is pre-tribulational. So not only, not only is the second coming before the millennium, but the second coming, at least in some aspect, there is a coming of Christ before the tribulation spoken of in the book of Revelation. So it is both premillennial and pre-tribulational, pre-trib. Now, 
um, there, are, there are three um, views here. Um, the, the pre-tribulational period, because classic dispensationalism uh, introduces the concept of a rapture, a secret rapture. Jesus comes initially on the clouds, doesn't come all the way to the earth, and, and raptures away the uh, Gentile church uh, for uh, seven years. Now, you can find um, those who are pre-tribulational. You can find those who are mid-tribulational, that Jesus comes midpoint during the tribulation. And you can find those who are post-tribulational. Right? So, so, so categorizing here becomes difficult. But classic dispensationalism was premillennial and pre-tribulational. Now, let's talk about some differences between dispensationalism and um, covenant theology. Or, or let me put it in a different way. Differences between dispensationalism and, say, the Westminster Confession of Faith, uh, the Confession of Faith of this denomination. In broad strokes, right, broad categories only. Uh, number one, and, and these, are, these are the major things, uh, and, I, and as you see in your outline, I, I can't remember how many numbers I had in the end, 20, now, whatever it was, but uh, let, let's talk first of all about the big things. N- number one would be a difference between the understanding of Israel and the church, um, a literal Israel and the church. The fundamental difference is seen between the understanding of Israel and the church. Israel is Israel. Israel is ethnic Israel. Israel is Jewish and Israel is national. So so both ethnically in terms of Jews but also in terms of Israel as a state as a political entity. And Israel is Israel and the church is the church and these two are separate. Now, in, um, in Reformed theology, and, and, there is a div- and, and again, I'm speaking in broad categories and generalizations here, but in broad categories... Reformed theology has insisted that there is one people of God, not two peoples of God, Israel and the church, a plan for the Jews and a plan for the church. But there's one plan, there's one church, there's one body of Christ. And, and classic dispensationalists will accuse um, re- Reformed people of spiritualizing, of introducing Um, a principle of interpretation, hermeneutic, into the Old Testament that spiritualizes Israel. Now, dispensationalism has morphed 
there are still old-fashioned classic dispensationalists around, um, but say Dallas Theological Seminary has has moved on and has adopted something more of a progressive um, dispensational point of view. Uh, some of you might have read some literature by uh, the likes of Daryl Bach, for example, uh, a, a, a New Testament scholar uh, of our time, uh, has written a massive uh, two-volume commentary on uh, Luke's gospel, for example. Uh, Daryl Bach and Craig uh, Blazing, um, and, and they wrote together, edited together, um, a book called Progressive Dispensationalism uh, within the last decade or so. So classic or historical uh, dispensationalism has been revised and modernized and modified. And, and there is, to be sure, a more progressive um, aspect to dispensationalism that would probably disavow uh, much of the old style uh, dividing of time into seven periods, seven dispensations. And for progressive dispensationalists, and again I'm generalizing here, for progressive dispensationalists an understanding that there is an old dispensation and a new dispensation. The old concerned with Israel, and God still has a purpose for Israel, but God has a different purpose for the church. So there's still, there is still a fundamental division. It may not be sevenfold, as in uh, classic dispensations, but there's still a fundamental um, division. The essential difference being the difference between physical Israel and the church. And a typical conversation with a dispensationalist will end up with a statement, something along these lines, well, I take the Bible literally, and you keep spiritualizing the Bible. You're going to end up in some kind of discussion with a dispensationalist in which that's going to be the kind of conclusion that is going to be drawn. That when I see Israel, I interpret that literally, and you keep spiritualizing it. Now again, I'm speaking in broad categories here. Right, so classic dispensationalists, and even for that matter, progressive dispensationalists will say, we believe that the prophecies about Israel and Judah in the Old Testament will be literally fulfilled in Israel and in Judah in the New Covenant. Now, others of you have uh, uh, read um, something like uh, Vern Poitras. Um, dispensationalism today. Uh, Vern Poitras uh, taught, it still continues to teach, at uh, Westminster Seminary in uh, Philadelphia, a, a man of, of prodigious abilities, a man I love and admire a great deal, uh, and has written um, a, a classic um, exposition of dispensationalism called Dispensationalism Today. And um, you, will, you will see uh, that dispensationalism is a complex thing. So I'm, 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 I'm generalizing. Now, 
Reformed theology would agree uh, that the forms, and especially the um, institutional forms uh, of the people of God, were different under the Old and under the New Covenant. The form of the people of God under the Old Covenant was expressed primarily in Israel, which was an ethnic, ecclesiastical, and national community. Whereas in uh, the New Covenant, um, the form of the people of God uh, is the in, in, in its institutional form is the church. And that church is transnational, trans-ethnic in nature. Dispensationalism, in broad categories, contends that God has two peoples with two destinies. They see Israel with its earthly uh, millennial reign of David in the land of Israel restored to its Davidic and Solomonic boundaries. And they expect to see that. And for the church, the future is heaven. So there's a purpose for the Jew and there's a purpose for the church. And they're quite separate. That that would be a fundamental difference between uh, dispensationalism and um, reformed theology. Another difference would be whether or not, and again, again, I'm speaking generally, whether or not God has one plan from eternity for all God's people. It may be the greatest problem between dispensationalism and um, reformed theology concerning God's saving purpose in the Old Testament. Um, uh, Dr. Davis and I have a, a, a friend and, and, and a former colleague uh, who, whenever uh, we were interviewing somebody for um, uh, a professorship at the seminary, uh, in the Old Testament department or any other department for that matter, um, he would ask this question. You, you're inviting this, this guy to the seminary and uh, uh, it's a job interview. And uh, uh, Dr. Davis and I would sit around a table with uh, 15 or 20 other people and uh, we'd be interviewing this guy. And some of these were well-known names and, I, and, and so on. Uh, and uh, Dr. Davis's colleague... Uh, in the Old Testament department would ask this question. How is a person saved under the Old Covenant? It's like a Sunday school question. You know, you're asking a guy with, uh, you know, PhD and, and, and a name and a reputation and so on, uh, who doesn't really need this job anyway. Uh, and, uh, and you're asking him this very simple, basic Sunday school question. How is a person saved under the Old Testament? And unless the question was answered in exactly the same way as a person is saved under the new covenant. You know, if there was any sort of prevarication, if the answer was way too complex, you knew this person wasn't going to get the job. Because it was a, it was a way of distinguishing, are they sort of closet dispensationalist in their thought, or are they reformed in their thought? That was the sort of 
go-to question. And probably the greatest problem then between dispensationalists and covenant theology concerns God's saving purpose under the old covenant. Some of the older dispensationalists used to actually even argue, now, I'm going to say this and then I'm going to retract it and some of you are going to object violently to it. But some of the older dispensationalists used to argue that there are dispensations in the old covenant in which you would be saved by works. You would be saved by obeying the law. There is a form, for example, of... um, uh, of uh, uh, there is a there is a a dispensation of law uh, in the Mosaic period, where um, where uh, in a crass form, uh, Israel uh, was 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 offered the law, and instead of saying no to the law and saying no, we we will we will go in the in the way of Abraham by 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 grace through faith. Um, they, they turned their backs on, on grace and, and sought a way of law. Now, that is a generalization. But in some form uh, or another, and most dispensations today don't argue that particular point of view, but, but there, is, there is here a fundamental um, difference, however, as to the purposes of God for the Jew and the purposes of God for the Gentile. Is there one plan or is there two? Is the church plan B? Because the Jew rejected the gospel and so God turned to the Gentiles and offered plan B, which is the church. But plan A which God is going to return to at the end of the age is God's purposes for the Jew and God's purposes for Israel. Now you understand uh, that 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 point of view, if God has a a fundamental plan for Israel as as a race, as an ethnicity, as a political entity, Right? And, 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 and uh, successive um, administrations, presidential administrations in the history of the United States for the last hundred years has been advised in one form or another that, that within the purposes of God there is a particular plan for Israel. Well, that has affected um, foreign policy. Uh, we are where we are today because of that advice that has been given, in, whether for good or ill. But, but the fact of the matter is that that advice, that if God has a plan for Israel, then America needs to get behind Israel, as opposed, say, to the Arab. Now, I don't, I don't want to get involved in politics here. I'm just, I'm, this, this was just a historical, sociological observation that that is where we are because of that fundamental belief that God has a particular purpose for Israel as a political entity. Now, Reformed theology has, has, has always held that the saints in both Old and New Testaments are all in Christ. 
How is a person saved in, in the period of Abraham? How is a person saved in the period of Moses? How is a person saved in the period of David? By faith alone in the promised Christ alone. There is one way of salvation. There is one bride. There is one people of God. There is one church. In two different administrations for sure. Old covenant, new covenant. And the old covenant had in its, in its orbit national and, and a political dimension. There was a nation of Israel. Which, which for most does not exist under the new covenants. So, so there are differences. But the fundamental question is, is there one plan or two plans? Let's uh, look at the... Uh, let, me, let me take you through... Um, um, let me walk through... Uh, the 20, whatever, 30 um, differences between dispensationalism and covenant theology. And let me just comment on a few of them as we, as we go along. Uh, I pointed out in number one uh, that uh, dispensationalism uh, does not take a position historically on um, the reformed faith as such, Calvinism as such. Um, Number two, stresses a literal interpretation of the Bible, especially when it comes to um, Israel, uh, whereas Reformed theology uh, sees Israel as uh, sometimes a a figurative expression for uh, the church. Um, Let me drop down to number four. Israel always means only the literal physical descendants of Jacob. And uh, for Reformed theology, it may mean either literal physical descendants of Jacob or the figurative spiritual Israel, depending on the context. A good example, for example, would be Galatians 6.16. What does Galatians 6.16 say? Peace be upon the Israel of God. Now, what what is Galatians all about? Galatians is about... Justification by faith alone, in Christ alone, apart from works. That in Christ there is neither Jew nor Gentile, bond nor free. That's part of the whole point of the book of Galatians. It would seem very odd to me that Paul would say at the end of the letter when he has, when he has removed Um, the barrier between Jew and Gentile as far as the way of salvation is concerned, that at the end he would sort of give a special blessing to Israel, meaning the the Jew, rather than Israel meaning the church. So that would be be an example of uh, whether or not you um, want to take Israel um, literally or whether you can uh, see Israel there in a figurative way, meaning, meaning the church. Um, God, number six, God has two peoples with two separate destinies, Israel, earthly, and the church, heavenly. Whereas in Reformed theology, God uh, has always had only one people, the church, gradually developed. For dispensationalism, the church was born at Pentecost. 
uh, whereas for Reformed theology, the church began in the Old Testament. So, so in uh, Stephen's um, speech in Acts 7, before he was martyred, uh, he refers to um, the congregation uh, in the wilderness, the, the people of God in the wilderness. So a, a development, a gradual um, development uh, through successive ages, but one church, one people. Uh, the church wasn't, number eight, wasn't prophesied as such in the Old Testament, but it was a hidden mystery until the New Testament. Uh, but Reformed theology would, would uh, interpret the Old Testament and, and have no qualms, for example, about speaking of Israel as the church. This is, this is God's people, God's covenant community. Uh, the Old Testament prophecies for Israel, number nine, are for literal Israel only, not the church. Right? And uh, uh, Reformed theology would answer and say that some Old Testament prophecies are for literal Israel and others are for spiritual Israel. Uh, ten is, is, is probably the, the, one of the most important uh, differences. God's main purpose in history is literal Israel. Plan A, if you like. So, so, so the church is, well, in classic dispensationalism, it was referred to as, the, as a parenthesis. It's plan B, because Israel rejected God's purposes and God turned to the Gentiles. But it, it's plan B. It, it's something that God is doing now, but he's going to return at the end to Israel. In a premillennial, pre-tribulational period, where the Gentile church will be raptured away and God uh, will convert the 144,000 Jews and from which he'll populate the world and so on. That becomes, that, that's plan A. And we're in a kind of hiatus, in a parenthesis to use the, the, the language. Right, so 11, the church is a parenthesis in God's program for the ages. Whereas... Whereas Reformed theology would say Jesus only has one plan and it's called church. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail um, against it. Uh, Twelve, the main heir to Abraham's covenant was Isaac and literal Israel. And Reformed theology would say the main heir to Abraham's covenant was Christ and spiritual Israel. All of these are twists and turns on, on, on the one essential point of literalness versus a figurative or spiritual reading. Um, let me pick up uh, number 16. And again, we're talking in general terms here, and again, I'm talking about historic dispensationalism rather than, say, progressive dispensationalism. Number 16, Israel was rash to accept the covenant at Mount Sinai. Uh, read your notes in the Schofield Bible on, um, on the Sinai covenant, when God enters into a covenant uh, with Moses, and that covenant manifests itself in terms of the Ten Commandments. And Schofield 
the Schofield Study Bible will, will speak of that being uh, that, that, that they shouldn't have accepted it. As if they were given a choice. Uh, 17, the new covenant in Jeremiah 31 uh, to 34 is, is only for literal Israel and is not the new covenant of uh, Luke 22.20. Luke 22.20 is the, is the uh, Lord's Supper word. This cup is the new covenant in my blood um, shed for many for the remission of sins. So, so Jesus saw his own death as a fulfillment of the covenant, the new covenant that Jeremiah spoke of in Jeremiah uh, 31 to 34. But a, a fundamental difference. Uh, number 18, uh, and for that you need to look at your chart, uh, wherever that is, uh, the chart, the, 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 the dispensational chart, which, which I've lost, but, but um, God's program in history is mainly through separate, um, separate dispensations. Right, and in the chart, you'll notice uh, seven of them. Innocence, conscience, human government, promise, law, the age of grace, church age, where we are now, and the kingdom or the millennium. And again, this is classic dispensationalism. So the first a dispensation from creation to the fall uh, in Eden. Second one from the fall to the time of Noah. The third one from Noah to Abraham. The fourth one from Abraham to Moses. Uh, the fifth one from Moses to Christ. The sixth one, which is the one we're in, from Christ to the uh, rapture. Uh, and then uh, the seventh one from uh, the, the period of the millennium. Distinct, distinct dispensations in which God is doing very distinct and different things. Like number 19, and again, uh, you know, some of you will howl with, with disavowal uh, that this is, that, that some dispensationalists have said Old Testament sinners were saved by works. And that is by no means the majority view within dispensationalism, but some have said that. Most dispensationalists teach that men and women in the Old Testament were saved by faith, but faith in the administration and in the terms of that particular administration. So it's not, it's not quite the same as saying saved by faith in Christ alone, by faith alone, as is apparent in dispensation number six. But they were saved by faith in the terms applicable to that peculiar dispensation. Which a lawyer would be able to distinguish. That's not the same thing. Uh, 21, the Old Testament sacrifices were not recognized as the gospel or types of the Messiah as sin bearer, but only seen as such in retrospect. Right? And then on the opposite side, Old Testament believers, this is number 21, Old Testament believers believed in the gospel of Messiah as sin bearer, mainly by the sacrifices as types and prophecies. Uh, 
So seeing the purposes of the Levitical sacrifices as types and, and symbols of the coming Messiah. Uh, number 22, the Holy Spirit indwells only believers in the dispensation of grace, not in the Old Testament and not after the rapture. Well, that particular aspect of dispensationalism continues to prevail. And many of these aspects of dispensationalism have not s- sort of spread like the flu uh, in, into Christendom. But this is one of them. I, I can't tell you the number of times I've been asked within Presbyterian churches, are Old Testament saints indwelt by the Holy Spirit? Right? I've been asked that question hundreds and hundreds of times by Presbyterians. Because, because this, the inf- and I think it's come from the influence of dispensationalism that's, that's spread into, into folklore of Christianity. David, in Psalm 51, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Um, 23, Jesus made an offer of the literal kingdom to Israel, and since Israel rejected it, it is postponed. And we find ourselves now in a, in a parenthesis. We find ourselves now in the, in the uh, Gentile um, age, as it were. Uh, 24, Old Testament believers were not in Christ, nor part of the body or bride of Christ. So when we think of the church, what do we think of? Well, we think of the church um, militant on earth, and we think of the church triumphant in heaven. But we also think of the church in the Old Testament and the church in the New Testament. Who belongs to the bride of Christ? Who belongs to the church of Christ? Well, Abraham, Moses, David, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Um, 25. The law, the, the, the Decalogue, uh, has been abolished. Uh, This continues, of course, to um, play out in various ways uh, uh, and so on. Um, The the ethics of the kingdom of God are different ethics from the ethics of uh, the old covenant. Number 26, Old Testament laws are no longer in effect unless repeated uh, in the New Testament. Um, uh, and then, and then uh, 28, uh, the Old Testament animal sacrifices will be restored in the millennium. Again, this is a generalization, and you may know dispensa- people who call themselves dispensationalists who don't actually believe that. But historically, uh, that certainly was true, that there was an expectation of a return to animal sacrifices in the millennium. Uh, and perhaps then, uh, since our time is, we have three minutes, David will sit on the millennial throne in uh, Jerusalem. Well, that's just a, a very brief, um, all too brief overview. 
uh, of, a, of a fairly complex issue uh, that has affected um, large uh, swathes of uh, Christendom, continues to do so, uh, especially, especially in certain parts of the, of the country. Uh, dispensationalism has progressed and, and been revised, but still, even within progressive dispensationalism, uh, that might not any longer talk about the, the so-called seven dispensations, um, but there would, there would certainly be perhaps three dispensations, uh, an Old Testament dispensation, uh, a New Testament dispensation, and a dispensation of the millennium period. Perhaps the most fundamental issue being uh, the distinction between ethnic Israel and the church and an expectation of, of some primary purpose, not a secondary purpose, but a primary purpose for ethnic Jews and the state of Israel. Well, as I was saying, um, even if an element of that is true, you can see how that may have and indeed has affected um, American foreign policy with regard to Israel, for sure. Because you want to be on God's side, if that's plan A. Well, let's pray together. Father, we, uh, we stand before the complexity sometimes of Scripture. Not everything is clear. Not everything is clear to all. And not everything is clear to the same degree to all. And there are some things, remember the words of Peter about Paul, that there are some things in Paul that are hard to be understood. And uh, there are things in Scripture for us too that are hard to understand. And we pray for continued wisdom and continued outpourings of your Spirit for Jesus' sake. Amen.